Welcome back to Fine Margins, everybody. This is your daily World Cup recap and betting show. We go live every single weekday at 4.15 p.m. Eastern time. We talk about the games that we saw from the day, and then we also go into previews for tomorrow's matches while also giving our best bets. Rob will be back tomorrow, but in his place and um, at no cost of any insight whatsoever, of course, is Paul McDonald. And we also have Alex joining again today. My name is Jacob, and we had a pretty interesting game here, or a bunch of interesting game here today. Even the nil-nil game, I thought, was pretty entertaining, just sort of like a chess match sort of approach for both teams, maybe more so on the Korean side. But obviously, we'll get to all of those. But let's lead in with how the bets did yes uh, today, because I feel like from yesterday's show, we were pretty spot on with the way we talked about every team. Let's start with Paul on this one. Yeah, I think we were. I think we called the fact that Switzerland are a good um, tournament team, and that proved to be the case. They held their own in the first half when they weren't playing particularly well, and Cameron had a couple of chances, but they were really good in the second half, I thought, and could probably could have won the game by, by more than a single goal. So that was a pretty safe bet from our end, so pretty happy with that one. And we also said that... Um, we thought that Uruguay-Korea was a trappy game and it proved to be the case. Like Nobody really wants to bet on a 0-0 even though we've got a lot of them in this tournament. So I'm happy that I avoided that one personally as well. Um, and I think everything that we said about Uruguay in terms of that mix of generation, they just I think we had the mark on that. They just seemed a bit disjointed in exactly the way that they thought they would. Um, I think Suarez came off early because I don't think he's... Um, I just don't think he's at this level anymore. And I think Nunez felt isolated because he was alongside Suarez a lot of the time and the, the, the play wasn't linking up. So certainly at the start of the day, I think we got everything spot on. So um, yeah, pretty pleased with that. Yeah, I, I felt so as well. I did have money on the early games. To my bets yesterday or this morning were on Switzerland to win, which cashed. I was happy to see waking up early in the morning. I also had South Korea on the double chance. I had three quarters of a unit on the double chance and a quarter unit I sprinkled on Korea to win the game. That didn't materialize, but happy with the double chance market. Didn't didn't like anything on the other two games as explained yesterday. But Alex, what did you have in play for today? Yeah, I... Uh... We talked about how we all kind of like Switzerland. I didn't end up playing it because I was kind of hoping that just Cameroon could steal a result for our Serbia to advance bet. But uh, obviously that didn't come to fruition. But in the second game, I was on the the under there. We talked again about how Uruguay has struggled easy with these, these, yeah, these banana peel sort of games for them where, you know, they're hoping to squeeze out a one nothing. So that, yeah, that was a very easy cash. Um, ironically, we talked about Godin uh playing and being forced into starting in the center defense and he comes closest to scoring yep. with that header off the inside of the post um but yeah and then you know the Ghana game I talked about goals I think we were a little bit lucky for how the game sort of opened up in the second half I'm sure we'll get to that but uh but yeah the goals came through so you know the overcash there and then I got a little bit a little bit too cocky there at the end and, and threw in a Serbia plus one and that that really that was deserved no chance no chance. did uh just curious i'm not trying to make fun of you did you see the serbia lineup before you made that bet or had you bet pre- before that i did i did um i <sighs> i waited for the lineup to make that bet and i i obviously don't love the lineup but i thought you know all right like they're they're going to just try and make this as difficult as possible on brazil and you know brazil haven't fully been tested too much lately so you're kind of banking on them maybe starting a little bit slower yeah they they really hit their stride in the second half and just a reminder to everybody, this is obviously Fine Margins on Twitter and on YouTube. You can watch it on either of those platforms. Make sure you follow us at Fine Margins with two S's on Twitter and check out our YouTube channel. Also subscribe there, like wherever you're watching. And remember, you can get this in podcast form 
as soon as possible after the live stream ends. And Fine Margins, all of our World Cup content is presented by the Betfred Sportsbook. Use the Betfred Sportsbook for all of your sports betting need over the course of the World Cup. We're going to be giving out all of our plays on Betfred odds, so make sure you check them out. But let's get into the recaps of the game today. We'll go in the same sort of order as we did yesterday. We'll go with the 5 a.m. Eastern time game, then go right to the 2 p.m. Eastern time game. So we can uh, go with the groups together here. We'll start with Group G. And let's go to that Switzerland one where they did win 1-0. You guys kind of had some thoughts already, so I'll lead in here. Switzerland win 1-0. They score early in the second half. I don't think Switzerland were necessarily at their best, especially in the first half where Cameroon was really taking it to them. I really liked what I saw from Anguissa, Chupamoting, and Embuemo in that first half. Switzerland get the early goal in the second half that really kind of took the wind out of the sails of that Cameroon team. And like like Paul was saying, this is a team built to win 1-0, 2-0 at these major tournaments. They didn't need to be at their best. They got that 1-0 win. So we'll flip it back to Paul for your thoughts uh, a little bit more in depth on this Swiss team. Yeah, first half an hour, um, Cameroon were shaping up to be maybe the best African team we've seen so far. I thought Mbwemo was really lively, really good. But again, as as we see with some of these teams, there's moments in matches where you need to put the ball in the net. And Mbwemo a couple of times in almost one-on-one situations just maybe didn't pull the trigger or get, get it done. And I think... Switzerland were probably happy to get to half time at 0 0 at that stage. They created very little in the first half, but they looked really strong second. Um, Zaka really came on in a game. His breaking the line passes were much better in the second half. Um, Mbolo, obviously, the, the main man, he got the goal. I think Mbolo is the first man to ever score in a World Cup against the team of his birth. Uh, I think it's the second time I, second I saw this on Twitter. I, I forget who it was, but it was in 1938. So, right. first okay. time in a long time. Right. So, yeah, but. From that perspective, if you look beyond that, they did create a bunch of chances after that as well. And, and, and um, Onana made a couple of excellent saves to keep it at 1-0. So all things considered, I think Switzerland will be very happy to get that one out of the way. And I think Serbia, might, based on how they played later, and we'll get to that in a minute, I think they might be looking at that Cameroon performance and being a little bit wary because they could cause them some trouble, I think. Yeah, Cameroon definitely were more impressed than I thought. Switzerland... Their front line, I wasn't, we talked, Mbolo obviously scored. I don't think he played exceptionally well. I thought his link-up play was was sloppy at times today. So he did come off even after scoring the goal. So I wonder, I really wonder if they will consider not starting him. But I think no matter what you score in a 1-0 win, you're going to get in the next game. So maybe just something to keep an eye on there. But Alex, uh, any thoughts on this one? I know you <laughs> you couldn't possibly get up at 5 a.m. to watch this one. We talked about this beforehand. But any sort of thoughts about either of these teams after today? Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of 5 a.m. games here, so you got to kind of pick your spots. This was not one of them for me. Um, <laughs> but I did go back and watch as much of it as I could in between the other matches. And, I mean, I think just this is what you expect from Switzerland. Like they're just a very professional side. They know what it takes to win these tournament games. It doesn't always have to be pretty, you know, you're able to grind it out. I was really impressed with how obviously in the first half, they looked a little bit shaky. They were giving up some chances, but I was impressed with how after they got the goal, they really locked things down. Cameroon didn't look like they didn't come close to scoring. So that's obviously something you can, you know, take some confidence in if you're, Switzerland, they're they're in the driver's seat now because, you know, Cameroon did pose enough of a threat where Serbia, maybe it's not so much a given that they're going to get three points. But again, it's probably going to come down to that Serbia-Switzerland game. Yeah, and Serbia, of course, were in action here today. They just finished off their game against Brazil. And Brazil, 
oh my goodness, in the second half, a little first half, they maybe weren't at their best, but second half, they were sparkling. They could have won by a lot more than 2-0 in this one. I want to start here because I'm very angry with Serbia because yesterday I spoke so highly of the manager. I said, wow, all these great players. He's actually like they finally have a manager who's willing to use these attacking options. Kostic, Vlahovic, play with two strikers, be progressive. And I see the lineup. No Kostic, no Vlahovic. They played for a nil-nil draw against this Brazilian team. I I understand being a little bit fearful of Brazil, but if you give that catalog of players 90 minutes to score on you, they eventually are going to break you down, especially, and Paul talked about this before we started, so I'll flip to him. When you can bring in four attacking options who seamlessly come in and don't change anything about the system or the way the game is played. So, Paul, uh, this Brazil team... The biggest threat to win the World Cup this year? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I totally take your point on how disappointed you were with the Serbia starting eleven. Um, but I would caveat that to, that to say, if you look at the other teams that people have perceived to have started well in this tournament, Spain and France being two of the main ones, mm-hmm. you've got to take the standard of opposition that both of those teams faced. And Serbia are a good team, and they were made to look very, very, very ordinary tonight by by Brazil, particularly in the second half. And the, the amount of chances that Brazil created. That, that scoreline could easily have been four or five tonight. I don't really think Serbia could have complained, particularly as, as the game got further and further away from them in the last 10, 15 minutes. And yeah, you talk about four changes. Gabriel Jesus comes on. Anthony comes on. Martinelli comes on. Um, I'm missing another one, but there was four four changes there. And the four of those guys are basically interchangeable with the, with the, with the four that started. Obviously, the big issue and something that they'll need to keep an eye on is, is the fitness of Neymar. He had his... Jersey over his head in, in, in the dugout and he looked quite dismayed with that tackle on his ankle and his ankle did look a little bit swollen in some pictures. Um, so that will be a concern. But if he's got maybe a, a 7 to 10 day turnaround, keep him for the knockouts because Brazil won't have any trouble uh, in, the, in the other games in this group. Yeah, and the, the fourth player there was Rodrigo who came in, also One. played well. I think he nearly nicked a goal. There was so many chances of Brazil. Alexandro absolutely whacked the post from 30 yards, some or very far out, somebody who doesn't usually score goals, but brilliant Richarlison's second goal. Oh, my goodness. There was some criticism for starting him. I kind of understood it, but I also understood why they went with Richarlison. Proved everybody wrong with a brace here. Alex, let's flip it over to you about Brazil's performance here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be too down on Serbia after this because I think this was just down to an absolute masterclass from the best team in the world. Um I do think Serbia asserted themselves well in the first half. You know, they defended smartly. They were fairly composed in midfield. They put in some good, timely challenges on the back end. I was kind of impressed with those center backs. Um, Obviously, you know, Brazil really found themselves in the second half, and the wheels just kind of came off for Serbia after conceding. It's kind of tough to sit back for that long against this team like we talked about. Um, The opener was deserved. Obviously, no one's going to dispute that. It had been coming. And you just you saw the confidence it gave them. Right. You know, it's easy to get sort of get frustrated after, you know, attacking, attacking and not getting that goal. But once that came, it it really buoyed them forward. So, yeah, I don't think there's any question that Brazil's the best team in the world right now. Um, This is definitely their World Cup to lose. It's on their day. Like, that's why I'm trying not to be too hard about Serbia, because on their day, if Brazil put in this kind of performance, I don't think there's any team in the world that are not going to get beaten by them. So, you know, um, and again, we talked about, you know, Paul talked about all the attackers they brought on. Obviously, those guys get a ton of recognition, rightfully so. But I think that we have to also talk about how good they are defensively as a team. Um, You know, Tiago Silva marshalling that back line. 
they're such a tough team to break down. Serbia didn't create much, but I think that's just down to the fact that that Brazil just defends so well as a team. We saw that in qualifying. They allowed five goals in their 17 matches. So I'm not too worried about Serbia yet. Obviously, you want to see more in their next match. The Cameroon one's going to be very telling before that final one against uh, against Switzerland. But again, not too concerned about Serbia yet. But Brazil, just they, it looks like it's going to be very tough to beat them. And e- I mean, even if Neymar gets hurt, I mean, they, they, they're able to replace him pretty easily in the lineup. <laughs> Do you know, the only thing I was worried about in terms of selecting Serbia, I think, out of this group was the fact that they played Brazil first. Yes. I'm always wary of, of a team going up against the group winners, potential group winners in the opening match, because it means you've got to be perfect pretty much in the next two games in order to get through. And the manner of the defeat might impact tactics or, or squad thinking and stuff like that. So I was a little bit concerned. But even though I don't think the starting eleven was correct from a Serbia perspective, I do still think they've got enough quality to go out and make a, a game of this group um, against the other two. So we'll see how they go. So with that, I mean... I think both performances were kind of as expected here, so not a ton to talk about. Another game that did go as expected here. We expected expecting a low-scoring game. It was nil-nil in South Korea, Uruguay. I really thought this was a chess match sort of game where you saw two conflicting sort of tactical approaches here. Uruguay, very aggressive, very direct. South Korea, extremely organized at the back, but also really comfortable pressing and taking it to Uruguay when they had possession. So... I enjoyed this match despite it being zero, despite it being nil nil. And as I said, I had this, the South Korea double chance. So happy with that one. Overall, thoughts on Uruguay because we were down on them. Let's start with Alex's time. We were down on them yesterday, and I guess nothing changes after that one. Yeah, I mean, they really didn't create much. We talked about the Godin header, but that's just that's just a simple set piece. Um, I think they're going to have trouble creating goals in this tournament. Obviously, maybe it'll get a little bit easier against a couple of back lines that didn't look as good in the game that we'll talk about after this. But, you know, the integration in the squad just doesn't quite seem to be there. We talked about the transition as well from, you know, one generation to the next. I I did think Valverde was very good. um, But but really, there's just there's just something about this team right now where I think they're going to struggle. Um, it's possible that we can see them not get out of the group, you know, a team that many have picked to, you know, to go on to potentially the quarters, maybe even the semis, but it's just not quite happening for them. They're going to have a tough time creating goals in this tournament. We saw that today. They lost the expected, you know, they lost the expected goals, not by a wide margin. It's not like South Korea, Korea created a ton, but you know, they finished, I think like 0.5 expected goals, which seemed pretty fitting. Um, and yeah, I just, I am a little bit worried about them. You know, defensively, they are still a very sound team. So that's going to help them, you know, potentially get out of this group. But I just think their ceiling isn't very high in this tournament. And for Uruguay, I think what was missing today, first of all, tactically, a 4-3-3 is not the way this team should be structured. Having Nunes on the wing is just a complete waste. And because he, he was creating stuff, he was causing a bit of issues, but then he's also got to do his defensive work and track back there. I think they're much more suited to a 4-4-2 Valverde on the wing where he's played for Real Madrid and done so extremely effectively. I get that kind of takes him out of the middle, but I think Bentancur and Vecino do enough in those area areas. Palestri on the other wing. It's not like the best in the wide areas, but I think that's much better and allows you to get much better service into Nunes, who's now central, and then probably a mixture of Suarez and Cavani as the other striker. And another thing, I, I think there's just they just don't have this player, just the creativity to link the midfield to the attack. I think they relied on just how good Suarez and Cavani have been over the last decade. They just don't have that anymore to rely on. So I think that's part of the issue because the final third was a problem today because they got in good areas, 
the final ball wasn't there. Paul, I see you nodding. Do you kind of agree with the way I'm going with this? Yeah. If it was anyone else other than two of the record cap holders in Uruguay's history, you could imagine them switching up after that game today. Um, but it, it's it's hard to take Luis Suarez and Cavani to a major tournament and then leave both of them sitting on the bench. Now, I know Cavani was benched today, but over three games, that's, that's a big ask. Um, but I, I agree, they have to change something. My main takeaway from that game, and we'll get to the, the Portugal-Ghana game, is if Portugal win, like, win the group, then this, the running-up plays Brazil. And I don't give any of them a cat's hailing chance against Brazil, but based on today's outings. Um, I mean, South Korea looked pretty organised and maybe more organised than we gave them credit for. But again, like they, they weren't really tested by a Uruguay team who kind of played to type. We would say, we, we, we mentioned yesterday that how Uruguay play in open matches, Jamaica in the past, um, Egypt in 2018, they played the Saudis in 2018 and, and they were low scoring games. Um, they got a couple of goals in those games to get them over the line and that goal just wasn't forthcoming today. And when there isn't that spark, when you've got a Luis Suarez that's four years older, you're right, the creativity has always been a massive issue for Uruguay beyond that. And against defences that are well-organised, it's difficult to break them down. So um, I wouldn't write off Uruguay yet in terms of getting out of the group because I think Ghana looked a bit ramshackle in the second half defensively. And, um, and Korea, if they're asked to go on the front foot, well, they built the break teams down as well. There's still that other other side of it. So they might still get out of the group. But yeah, I'm, I'm with Alex in terms of their overall um, position in this tournament when, when it's all said and done. I think if they finish second, um, it will be easy fodder for Brazil. Yeah, so interesting group. The, the prospects of this group are kind of wide open here. Obviously, we, we all, I think, are in agreement that Uruguay can finish as runner-ups in this group. But Korea on one point now, if they can take care of business against a team like Ghana, they're also going to be fighting to come out of this group as well. So a lot of good dynamics there that we'll see. Ghana, the team I just mentioned, played against Portugal today. Uh, it was it was kind of straight. It was nil-nil at half. Seemed like we were on pace to maybe another nil-nil. And then it ends 3-2. It all starts with the Ronaldo penalty. We obviously had our words of criticism about Ronaldo yesterday. Alex is shaking his head because I think we might all agree that this probably should not have been a penalty. But Ghana just break down after they, they get the equalizer and... Portugal run over them later on in the game. So let's start with you for this one, Paul. What were your thoughts on Portugal? Because you had some, I really liked what you said about them yesterday. If they like had sacked their manager, if Ronaldo had retired and Jota was fit, then this could be maybe the best team in the tournament. But has any, any of your mindset changed after watching them play Ghana here? None, none, none in the slightest. Like <laughs> me too. Some of, the substitutions, some of the substitutions from Santos were just really frustrating as well. And my boy, my boy Rafa Leal on the bench, I just can't, I just can't allow for oh, that. I can't um, fathom him not starting. I uh, genuinely cannot fathom that. Yeah. I'm so glad he came on the pitch and scored because it, it makes Santos have to make a decision in, in the next game. Um, I thought Bruno Fernandez actually was low key excellent for the last half an hour on the break, set up the second and the third goals. Fernandez does have the ability to go under the radar like that sometimes. Yeah. Um, people won't remember him for this game, but his passes for both Felix's goal and, and Ripley hours were perfectly weighted. Yeah. And so yeah. that, even though the, the, the Guinean defender should probably clear that one for, um, for Felix's goal. But yeah, up until the hour mark, they they were struggling like a lot of the big teams do when they're, when they're playing against a low block that's quite well organised. And yeah, the penalty. Um, once it goes to VAR... VR doesn't really have a decision to make because when you show when you get showed the replay, the defender doesn't get a touch on the ball. 
So the only way that VAR can overturn a decision like that is if it goes to them and they can see on the monitor that the defender has kicked the ball first, therefore it's a clean tackle. After that, it just comes to the referee's interpretation. Mm-hmm. And the referee's interpretation is wrong, in my opinion. Ronaldo <laughs> buys the penalty, but the defender allows him to buy the penalty, and that's probably equally as frustrating for me than the actual act of giving it in the first place. So, yeah, I, I hard, to, hard to gauge Portugal, because for that 10, 15 minutes, they looked great. Like, Leal really injected some life into them. And then in the last 30 seconds, you could have one of the craziest goals in World Cup history that didn't happen. So, yeah, <laughs> you talk about a game of two halves, um, you'll struggle to see a bigger game of two halves in this tournament, I think. For Portugal, I think tactically, this they got this one wrong here. They're going to start Ronaldo. We have, I just have to understand that. I thought first half, they struggled to break down Ghana and move the ball because there wasn't very much willingness for Ronaldo to be involved in that. But this team has to be at its best when Leao is on the wing, supporting, taking players on, getting behind the back line. I think absolutely that is necessary. I also feel like having maybe a more solidified pivot in William Carvalho could be something they explore rather than going with Ruben Neves alongside Bernardo Silva for much of this game. I think having that true pivot gets Silva and Fernandez in further positions forward. I think that's something that could help them as well. But we'll go to Alex here. Ghana, we were pretty down on yesterday. They're the lowest ranked team in the world rankings. Not that we care about those very much. Do they kind of improve your st- the stock that you have in them after scoring twice here? Yeah, well, I mean, I had gone up plus one and a half today, and you felt good about that at times, despite I, I thought they showed such a lack of intent in that first half. Just it was yeah. really even even on the on the break, they didn't want to commit anyone for just kind of play those long balls into Anaki Williams. I was impressed with Kudus. Uh, I thought he had a very good game. I was a little bit surprised that they decided to take him off yeah, uh, in the 77th minute at 1-1. And then, you know, literally minutes later, it's 3-1 with him not in the pitch, I mean, I'm sure those goals probably still happen without him, but like, it just, it was a baffling substitution for me. The penalty was complete garbage. Absolutely hated that. But at the end of the day, it helped us cash the, uh, the over. Cause I don't think the game opens up nearly as much, but from, from a Portugal perspective, you have to be a little bit concerned. I mean, Ghana weren't really committing any bodies forward and the times they did, Portugal just looked so vulnerable. They couldn't deal with those balls uh, into the box and, I mean, really, they, they almost threw the game away right at the end, too, that you could be looking at them on one point right now. So, yeah, I mean, Ronaldo's going to keep starting regardless. It's 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 frustrating. It's unfortunate. He should not be in there. The fact that he got his goal and it's like justification for Fernando Santos putting him in there is very frustrating. Uh, from a Ghana perspective, don't really think they're threats to get out of the group right now. Um, you know, they, they just didn't show enough going forward, enough intent. I don't think that's going to really change against Uruguay. They're going to kind of take the same approach here. So unless they can beat Korea, which is which seems very unlikely, just given how how structurally sound that team is, I don't think they're necessarily a threat to get through. But yeah, from a Portugal perspective, I think there's there's some red flags there without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, the, main, good, yeah. Just sorry, Jacob, the main red flag for me is that IU goal is a really bad goal with yeah. these Yes. Really bad in, in every aspect of the game. Diaz is out of position when the ball comes in behind. I don't know what Danilo's doing, quite frankly. Um, I have no idea. Yeah, just a really bad goal we concede. And they're going to play potentially better attack or definitely better uh, attacking units than that in this tournament. If they defend like that, it's, it's not going to be a long tournament for them. Mm-hmm. And for Ghana, part of the criticism I have for them, for the way they kind of em- employed their team in this game, Kudus was good when he had opportunities on ball but they really didn't give him a lot of opportunities going forward maybe that was just because the opposition but 
I think in other games, you got to get him on the ball more often and not sub him off because not that, I mean, I don't think the sub directly influenced those goals, but like you said, within two minutes of him coming off, Portugal do nick two goals. So with that, we will move into tomorrow's games. We have four games. We're going back to teams that have already played here. Every team tomorrow is in their second match. We'll open up the Betfred odd screen for this one to, to talk about it. We'll start with the early match, which is going to be Wales against Iran. Um, personally, I've woken up at 5 a.m. two days in a row. I work hard during the day. I don't think this is one I am going to wake up for. Paul, it's a good hour for him. It's going to be 10 a.m. local time for him. So why don't we start with you on your thoughts for this one? Wales, uh, showing plus odds on the win-draw win, something that I have thought about. But uh, let's hear what you have to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about Wales here. I've got to be honest. Um, I was thoroughly unimpressed with them in the first half against the US. Um, again, just the wrong setup. Um, they, they definitely missed Joe Allen in midfield. He'll be back for this one. And Kiefer Moore should just be starting for a team like this. Um, yeah. He gets you up the pitch. Really excellent first touch. Good in the air. And I think in the second half, it made up um, the manager's mind from that Rob Page that he'll almost certainly start Moore in this one. And... I think Iran are almost certainly better than they played against England, but I do worry. There's a lot of turmoil. I think Carlos Queiroz lost the lost his temper with a, a journalist today who was asking him questions about the the turmoil back home. Um, I think there's a lot of players who are, who are distracted by that and, and what's happening there, and I think their heads maybe not in the game for this tournament. And you couple that with the fact that yes, they have got a couple of standout players in attack. I don't think the rest of the team is is really up to it, um, and I think that Wales, I don't think Wales will blow them away, far from it, because I don't think Wales have got the capacity to blow many teams away. But I still do think they are a more robust and better unit in every department. And Gareth Bale getting 90 minutes and, and Ramsey getting 90 minutes the other night um, to get some some uh, some well-needed game time, I just think they're, they're well-equipped to go and beat Iran here. And if Iran do become the whipping boys of the group, um, and I do think US look good enough to beat Iran as well, you're talking about goal difference. Um, and getting the goals on, on the board is going to be an important thing. So I, I do heavily fancy Wales to get it done tomorrow morning. So let's flip to Alex here. Okay. In, coming into the tournament, you were very high on Iran. I don't know if that 6-2 England game changed that very much because England was so good. Iran, you had some concerns about their tactics going into that game. So what do you think about this one uh, with Iran playing against Wales? Yeah, I think... I mean, Paul and I have been in agreement on most of these uh, most of these games so far. This is the one where I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna disagree. So we'll get some differing of opinions here. But I thought Iran were a lot better than what they showed in that first match. Um, England were just very clinical with their chances. It's not like they had a ton of of easy opportunities to convert. There was just some very strong finishes there. I think we're going to see a very different Iran team in the sense that we'll probably get Asmoon in there. We'll probably get Godos in there and we're going to get a bit of a different team selection. They're going to be a bit more aggressive and they do have the quality to go forth and get goals. And, you know, Wales aren't exactly the most defensively sound team. Um, I'm not sure what Joe Allen's status is right now, but I, I think they can be had a little bit in midfield. They can get caught in transition. So I think that we're going to see a different Iran team here. And I think that they're going to be able to, do enough going forward with Taremi and Asmoon together to steal a draw here. Um, I like them on a plus a half. If you can, you know, if you, if you're not going to find necessarily a great price on this, I don't necessarily know that Iran can win this game. So you might just even be better looking at that plus two twenty on the draw. That's the look I'm going to take here. I am going to die on this Iran Hill. I was high on them going into the tournament, maybe a little bit too high. I still don't want to overreact to that England game. So I think they have the quality still to, uh, 
to give Wales some problems and, and earn a point and make things interesting in that last game against the U.S. Do you have uh, any status on the goalkeeper that got injured in the previous game? It's okay if you don't. I'm just wondering. My, uh, my Iranian media connections are not very strong. I do not have, uh, I do not have uh, an update on his status. I don't think the, the backup keeper who came in, though, was at fault for any of those goals. Those no. are just really quality finishes. No. Uh, a point you brought up from the day one stream that I wasn't a part of that I also thought was that Iran- the Iranian manager and players were in shambles when the goalie went off. It seemed like there was big concern about having the backup come in. I, I, I don't know much about them. I just thought it was like, hey, do they really not like this backup goalie? Because they seem a little bit more upset than maybe they should be. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that maybe when he's tested a little bit, like where like England's goals, I don't think there was much that he could have done any of those. So we'll see him put to the test maybe more against Wales here. I fancy Wales here. I haven't fully committed to going for them on the win draw win, but a team I have committed to going on for the win draw win. And I'm going to ask either of you to try and convince me not to take Senegal here at minus 150. I thought Senegal looked pretty decent against Netherlands. I don't think either team was at their best, but uh, I've just shifted live now to minus 145, which makes me like it even more here. Qatar were awful in that first game. I said in our previews, they're so awful. I'm easy going to take Ecuador and plus money. Senegal are a much better team than Ecuador. I, I feel like Qatar's stock hasn't dropped nearly enough from that game. So again, I'll ask, well, well, I'll go, go to either of you. Maybe we'll start with Paul. Can you convince me not to take Senegal to win? Um, I'll play devil's advocate and try and make a case for it. I do, I do think that... Um, I think Senegal did... Obviously, you're going to miss Sadio Mane, right? I mean, that's a given, but... Right. I thought Ismail Assar had an excellent... 55 minutes of that game where he was getting into good positions and creating chances and I felt that in, on some occasions he was dropping in and looking for like one-twos and, and rebound passes and his teammates just weren't on his wavelength um, and I do think there is a, a disjointed feel about their attack and you the way that the, the, the Dutch set up you would imagine that there would, there would be more spaces because you would imagine that Qatar are going to be sitting here and just let's just get out of this game we conceding as few goals as possible because I'm not going to try and convince you that I think Qatar are a good team. Um, I don't think that's really possible after that first that first performance. But the only thing I can try and maybe convince you of is like I don't think Senegal are a great attacking unit and it may be one of those ones they all just get bogged down in themselves. I don't think so. I don't because I, I really do think that Qatar might be in the top three or four worst ever World Cup teams with El Salvador and Haiti and stuff like that in the past. They, they are really that bad. But... Maybe Senegal just can, can can get past ourselves in this game, and it sounds as if uh, goalkeeper Mendy's going to be actually be dropped for this one. He had a disaster in the game against yeah, the Netherlands. Interesting. Um, it looks like he's going to miss out, but that would obviously only matter if Qatar can get anywhere near the goal. And I don't think <laughs> they probably will. So you're really betting on the ability of Senegal to score here, and I I wouldn't be surprised if they got it done one zero two zero. But I'm I'm just not hundred percent on them because they were just a bit profligate in attack in that first match. Yeah, I was going to make a point about Mendy. Like, what could cost this bet is if Mendy has another howler because both goals he was at fault for against the, the Dutch team. But we'll go to Alex. He was... We had, we had a bit of a clash on the previews about Qatar where I was like, like nothing is going to stop me betting Ecuador here. Um, that proved correct. But Qatar, uh, have your thoughts on them changed at all after that first game? Uh, 
I, I think there was a little, I mean, they're a bad team. There's no doubt about that. They have nothing to offer really going forward, but I, I don't think that Ecuador created all that much. Like it wasn't, there were a couple of, of, of bad moments at the back for Qatar early on. I don't know whether that's nerves or just a lack of quality. It could very well just be a lack of quality, but I mean, Ecuador really weren't able to, to create all that much. Um, maybe they went up to nothing and kind of sat back a little bit and weren't too concerned with it. It could be a case of that too, but we're also seeing Senegal now in a position where, they have to actually assert themselves and they have to be the team to drive play and to to break someone down. And we haven't seen their ability to do that yet. I think they're a team that's a bit more equipped to attack teams on the counter. So let's see if they're able to do something like that. That kind of gives me a little bit of pause. And, and Paul said it without actually saying it, um, that the under here, I think, is a good look because I do think they're going to struggle to create goals. I yeah. don't think Qatar are going to threaten them too much. This This has... 0-0 into the 70th minute, a frustrated Senegal trying to get that goal. Maybe they find it, um, probably do find it. But I think under two and a half is pretty juiced. I mean, an under two, if you can get an under two, I think at, at plus money around even money, that's that's a good look too. Um, even one and a half, if you're feeling confident or fe- feeling courageous there and you want to get something at a decent plus money, I, I think that this has, you know, we've seen a lot of 0-0 draws in this tournament. It wouldn't surprise me if this is another one. Yeah. I, the only for, thing that I would add to that, sorry, Jacob, the only thing I would yeah. add to that is um, if Senegal win 3-0, then obviously they can draw the last game against yes. Ecuador and go through, which will obviously have play on their mind. Obviously, they need to get the goals in the net first, but if it goes to 1-0, 2-0, they, might probably, they probably will go for a third because that, that could have a huge bearing on, on the final match. That's that, But I, again, I completely agree. I, I struggle to see them getting as many as that in this game. So you, you kind of read my mind there. Part of the reason I like Senegal so much is that they know they have to win this game. They know they have to go and score goals as well. So that's just part of the reason I like it. I think they will be courageous. Not saying they'll score three, but I am saying that they will feel inclined to go get goals. And I just don't think that Qatar have really anything to turn me off of Senegal here in terms of like countering that or anything of that nature. So uh, I'm strongly on Senegal here. I, I actually already bet it coming in, so like nothing was going <laughs> to convince, <laughs> convince me off this game. I, I just feel that strongly. Another game I have some decently strong opinions about is the next one. Netherlands playing against Ecuador. Ecuador coming off that 2-0 win. Netherlands also coming off that 2-0 win. They scored two goals pretty late, but I want to focus on the late parts of those games because tactically, I think Van Hal got this game wrong from the start, but corrected it. And I think that was a bit of an influence in both goals. It, it had to have been an influence here. I think starting De Jong in a midfield with Burgess, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. Starting those two as like two eights slash sixes, I thought was incorrect. Kubaminers, when he came in, provided the pivot, which allowed De Jong to get further forward. They did bring in Klassen to play as the 10, but I think Burgess wants to play as the 10. De Jong wants to play as the eight, knowing he's got the defensive pivot behind him. Kubiners will get the ball from defense into attack to the likes of De Jong, who is so good at bringing it forward. And that also puts Gakpo further forward. And when he got further forward and we got De Jong further forward, that was how they scored the first goal. So I'm really struggling to see a way Van Hal doesn't also see that and go with that from the starting lineup here. We have Netherlands at, honestly, odds. I was not expecting to see this. I was probably expecting to see this more in the 170 range, to be quite honest with you. So I'm really liking Netherlands at that spot. Let's start with Alex here. Because I, I remember from your Twitter, you also had the same sort of thoughts as me on Cooper Meters coming in for this team. Yeah, so I follow this team very closely. Uh, given my background, I have a lot of family in the Netherlands. And um, 
I should go grab my jersey. You know, I should have I should have done that for this uh, for this one. But um, <laughs> I, I really like the Netherlands tomorrow. I think that yes, Van Hal did get it wrong. I tweeted how Coop Miner should have started that game. If there was any game for him to start in this group stage, it would have been that one. I expected him to be a fixture in the eleven throughout it. But you need that pivot and that help for uh, for Frankie in midfield. Frankie also had a bit of an uncharacteristic game, but. At the end of the day, Van Hal's a very smart manager, very smart tactically. Yeah. He will get it right this time. I do think we'll see. I also think Vincent Jansen, there was absolutely no need for him oh to be God. in that 11. It made absolutely no sense. I couldn't and believe if, it. And if you're going to if you're gonna start a, like a, a true out-and-out striker up top, it shouldn't have been him either. I would have rather had, you know, uh, Luke de Jong or Weghorst in there over him. So I was just very puzzled by that. I don't think we'll see him on the pitch again. Um, and Depay will be back for this game too. So it, it's kind of a moot point here. And I just think that... This is a team that's going to get stronger and stronger as the tournament goes on. Ecuador really struggled to create. We saw that against Qatar. They created a couple of chances, but they really didn't do too much. Um, they have they pose less of a threat going forward than Senegal do. Senegal had a difficult time breaking Netherlands down. I think this is another two nothing win. A bit straight, bit more straightforward for the Dutch this time around with Depay back. Probably Coop Miners in there. If you want to wait for, if you want to wait for the lineup, to, you know to to confirm those changes, then that's fine. But I do think we'll see money come in on the Dutch overnight, and this might drift something in the minus 150, minus 155 range. So I'd probably suggest getting in early on that. But I think this is a straightforward three points and maybe a potential where they can sort of coast a little bit more in that last game and you know maybe maybe give Qatar a little bit of a point so they don't, uh, they don't go home empty-handed. Yeah, and one of the commenters here is saying that Ecuador's XG wasn't impressive against Qatar despite the 2-0 win. They did not have to be at their best. They did get a, a really good second goal from Enter Valencia, who is, the fraction, fun fact, the first player to ever score the opening goal in the World Cup in two different tournaments, so good for him. He's got five and four at the World Cup finals, which yeah, is so great. Just to interject, for what, it was just to that comment, it was they had put up 1.16 expected goals in that first game. And the penalty, I think, gives you, uh, Paul, maybe you can confirm this. I think it's like 0.76 or something like that from a penalty. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they really didn't create too much outside of that. I, I don't see how they're going to they're gonna pose any threat in this match. And, like, I thought they were lucky to get a 2 nothing win in that first one. And, and that's why the odds are so strange to me. I feel like people, like... I, for some reason, the bookmakers have really upgraded Ecuador from that. And for some reason, I feel like it's been downgraded on Netherlands. This is one, like, I was, again, I'm really confident. I've already bet Netherlands to win this one. So we'll flip to Paul here. Is there any action that you see for the third game on the slate? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything Alex said. Like, a lot of my friends and uh, business partners and stuff are, are based in the Netherlands. And they were really down on that performance. But then again... The Dutch are pretty much down on every single performance, yes. not, not the World Cup <laughs> final. So there's no, you can take that with a pinch of salt. Um, but yeah, I did think they struggled. I, I, I agree. I don't think the tactics were right. Janssen stood it like a sore thumb. Didn't even look like an international player. Depay will be back. And Depay was only on the pitch 25 minutes. And I think the Dutch really created every chance that they had in the game in that period that Depay was on the pitch. I don't think Depay's elite. I don't think he's as good as, as potentially he maybe thinks he is. <laughs> but he's certainly the best option that the Dutch have on this team. And I, th I think it, him and Gakpo can get a bit of um, work together and, and a bit of a link-up. I, I think that they can they can, they can can get the result here. I think the main thing about Ecuador is, is yeah, their XG was very bad in the first game. Their XG is always bad. They never mm -hmm. score goals. They're, they are mm -hmm. a notoriously low-scoring team. Um, and any time that they do score, it tends to be against weaker opposition. So I think they, they can uh, beat some of the fodder in the in the the ball section to get to the tournament some of the, uh, the teams that likes of Chile and uh, Colombia slipped up against so I don't think 
I don't think they're any great shakes. I am surprised at the price. Um, I think the Dutch can only get better from that first game. And I think if you want to, if you want to leave stats at the door and tack some emotion on, I do think there is a bit of emotion attached to this team because of everything that's happening with Van Gaal's health. Mm-hmm. I think they want to make sure they get them out of the group in as, as quick a time as possible and then allow them to focus on who they'll face in the knockout stages. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go too heavy on goals or anything like that in this one. I think, like Alex said, a one or a two nil would be would suffice with a with a more accomplished performance overall. I could totally see the game going in that direction um, and uh, allowing Ecuador to go to a, a shootout with Senegal in the final match. And just, yeah, to, just look- to add to that quickly, sorry, Jacob, but I just just one, one other point that came to my mind there is that is that winning this group is of the utmost importance as well because you're talking about you know facing either Wales, the US, or Iran in the round of 16 compared to England, and also now with Argentina slipping up, potentially not winning that group, that you know that quarterfinal matchup could become a lot easier as well. You're potentially talking about avoiding Argentina, avoiding England, and you're looking at a potentially easy route to the semifinal. So I don't think that their focus will be you know uh, lost in this match whatsoever. They played their toughest one already, and they got it out of the way. They managed to scrape by three points, to, you know, regardless of how you feel about the performance, and it's only going to get easier from here on out. Yeah, and going to the over-unders, it's pretty even on the over and under for two and a half. You can, it's a little bit juiced to the under at minus 125, plus 100 on the, the 2.5, on the over 2.5, excuse me. I also feel like Ecuador will really struggle to score in this game. I think they will be coming into this tournament. I think they had four nil-nil draws out of five. And the only one that wasn't was a 1-0 win. Was it against Oman? Is, is that, or was it Cape Verde? Uh, it was against Cape Verde. It was Cape, Cape Verde. Verde. Yes. That was a 1-0. So they don't concede. Granted, they didn't against Qatar, as, as bad as Qatar. <laughs> we'll give them credit for that. So, again, I think 1-0, 2-0 is a good look here. But I, I, I'm just going to back Netherlands to win on this one. But you mentioned England and how you don't want to face them. But the U.S. are going to be facing them tomorrow in the final game of the day. Uh, I am English, so uh, if you hear any bias or anything of that nature, then please excuse it as best you can. Uh, Obviously, famous match between these two teams in 2010, the England's Open at the World Cup, where they drew 1-1 after a calamitous error from Rob Green gives Clint Dempsey the 30-yard dribbler that just sneaks in the corner after it just bounces off his arm. Obviously, there's going to be American fans really thinking they can take it to England here. I think Bearhalter might get in his way a little bit tactically here. And if Southgate continues to run with that 4-3-3 formation that England fans have been calling for, I think they're going to be far too much for the U.S. Let me know if you guys disagree. We'll start with Paul. Yeah, that, that game in 2010 is one of the most satisfying correct scores I've ever bet in my life. I oh, bet one each wow. game. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, in fairness, England battered the US in the second half of that game that time and probably should have won. But anyway, um, the US defence just isn't good enough to keep this England team out for 90 minutes. They just aren't. They, they are not in any stretch. I mean, I can't see it any more clearly than that. Um, <laughs> I backed it pick up a, a, a good couple of goals here. Um, I kind of like parts of the US's attacking play on on, on, um, on Monday night against Wales. I thought that we are... Um, played really well and linked up with Pulisic at times. But I think, as I said about the Wales game, I think it was as much to do with Wales' ineptness and stage fright. I thought Wales, probably the worst 45 minutes yeah. I've seen them play in quite a long time. Um, the, the, I think it, the, the US performance was contributed to by Wales as much as their own. And this is a gigantic step up in class. And as much as a Scotsman 
shouldn't be too worried about it. I am obviously worried about England going extremely far in this tournament because, listen, you can only beat what's in front of you. But as we've shown, some of the big teams are struggling to even do that. And um, if they get out of this group convincingly with another two wins, as I think they will, the draw could really open up for them. Um, And yeah, I I think England, a comfortable Friday night victory for them. And I I would go maybe, I would maybe even go on the overs over 2.5 as well um, to see England rack up some goals here. Yeah, for England, I may, I might have oversold him a little bit with the way I kind of previewed it, but I, I kind of agree with the back line. Anthony Robinson, uh, Tim Ream, Walker Zimmerman, and Anthony Dest is the back four. Dest for Milan this season, I tell you, Ace and Land fans have not been happy with his performances. I have a friend who's a big Milan fan and has been extremely upset with how he's played. Zimmerman kind of cost a little bit us those three points and a completely unnecessary tackle through the back bales back was the goal there was no need to do that so rush of blood to the head sort of moment for him can't do that against england tim ream experienced but somebody who plays in the premier league and i believe he's still at fulham doesn't get a lot of game time not very effective there so maybe there's a comfortability with england's attack against him and anthony robinson as well more prolific i'd say going forward and using his pace but having to go one-on-one consistently with Bukayo Saka seems like a bit of a daunting task. Alex, do you share our sentiments about England against the U.S. here? Yes, I've, uh, I've not hidden the fact that I'm very low on this U.S. team. I'm very low on Bearhalter as a manager. I don't think that yeah. he has any ability to get it right uh, and, and tactically slow down England. So I think this could be a bit of a fun game. Um, I would also be shocked if we saw Tim Ream start again. I don't, I don't know why he was in there in the first place. Uh, I think Carter Vickers should be coming in. But I, again, I don't think it will matter regardless. I think that you know, you're looking at those fullbacks too going up against the England wingers. Um, Serginho Dest, he played at Ajax, so I watched him closely for a while. He's, he's not a defender. Just plain and simple, he is not a defender. Uh, and then, you know, they're bringing him off and they're bringing DeAndre Yedlin on, who's even less of a defender. Yeah, so that was, I mean, that was weird. I thought that was weird. Yeah, to, de- to defend a lead, you're bringing on DeAndre Yedlin. So I don't understand that. Um, they're not, they're just, they're just not capable of slowing England down. You know, maybe they pose a little bit of a threat going forward. Maybe they're able to nick a goal. I can see a 3-1, 4-1 pretty easily here. Um, and then, you know, I, I also think that, you know, maybe a bit too much of a look ahead here, but I think that they'll be right for the picking against Iran in that last group match, which is why, you know, for, for my Iran to advance out of the group uh, futures, I'm just, I'm hoping that this is a pretty lopsided defeat. And then, uh, and then, you know, we see Iran maybe steal a draw and then it's, it's wide open in that last group match. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Actually a decent angle to kind of look at here. Cause if England can take care of business here, obviously goal difference is pretty well on their side with that first match. And all of a sudden, Maybe it's a huge backup cast for England of players. They're not afraid of doing that. They did that at the previous World Cup. They hadn't even locked up first place at that one. I th- although I, I think both teams kind of preferred second place in that group because it was a much easier road to the semifinals as, as England then found out. And Belgium also found out because they won the group and had to go through Brazil and could not go through France. Regardless, interesting way to look at it. But for this match, we're all pretty aligned with it. Pretty straightforward on England. Don't know if the price is at its best to take on England. Maybe we'll, we'll look at the bets here. Minus 189 in Bedford for England to win. That just seems like a little bit too much for me to take. But if we go to the over-under market, and we'll end on this, over-under 2.5 seems like a pretty fair line here. Minus 125 on the over, plus 100 on the under. Uh, let's go back to Paul here. Do you see any way to kind of get in on this game from a betting perspective? I'd, I'd be all over the over 2.5 there. That's, that's definitely my selection for this game. Um, I think I think it'll be quite an open contest. I can definitely see, like, ironically, I think 
Robinson is probably the best of the US back four on, on the left, but um, I, I do see Saka and Trippier as being a really strong um, midfield and defensive unit on that side. And with Trippier overlapping, I could totally see um, him getting isolated against those two in that side and creating loads of chances. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite high on the over two and a half of that one. And Alex, you, you just kind of mentioned it, so I'm sure you're kind of in agreement. Yeah, even and if you even want to get a little bit of a better price on that, you can maybe do an England and over two and a half, right? You, you group England in there and you'll probably get some plus money on that. So I, I like that look a lot, though. I just don't see the U.S. being competitive in this whatsoever. I, I yeah. thought they were honestly lucky to get the draw against Wales in the end. They just Wales just started too slowly. They got the team wrong. And I just I'm just very low on this U.S. team. So those are all of our thoughts from a betting perspective on these games. We will be back tomorrow with more from Fine Margins. Rob will be back tomorrow, but... We we want to remind you guys, we go live with this show every weekday, Monday through Friday, excuse me, at 4.15 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch our recaps of the games and go into our best bets. Tomorrow might be a little bit of a more loaded betting talk because we have the entire weekend to talk about. So make sure you tune in to find margins tomorrow. And remember, it is presented by Betfred, the official sportsbook sponsor for the Fine Margins World Cup content. Thank you so much to Betfred for sponsoring it. Make sure to sign up to Betfred for all of your World Cup betting needs. And if you want some more for other sports, you can always check out the Hammer Betting Network. Fine Margins is a soccer content division of the Hammer Betting Network. Go to thehammer.bet and follow at thehammerhq on Twitter to see more across other sports. Got some great NFL content coming out tomorrow for the weekend. We also have great basketball content consistently over there. So make sure you go check it out. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex J. Moretto. Follow Paul on Twitter. Both of them have great soccer discussion content on their Twitters. Follow Paul at PaulMacDFC. And hopefully we see you tomorrow for more from Fine Margins and more World Cup betting.